0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. We are hours away from the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft kicking off, and I am fired up to have a draft insider joining the show to talk us through what the Seahawks could potentially do with their draft picks this week. So with us here today is Tony Pauline, the host of Believe in Draft Analysts on the Believe Podcast Network. He's also the NFL Draft Analyst, at the Pro Football Network. Tony, I know you're you're jam-packed with stuff to do, especially with this being the week of the draft, and let's get right into it. The, the Seahawks, they only have three picks right now. I don't know if they're going to finish with three picks. What's the likelihood that we see the Seahawks trade out of that pick at number 56?
1: You never know with the Seahawks. I, I mean, you know, they always come into the draft with needs, and people think they know what they're going to do, and then they... You know, they pull something out of left field, which no one ever, ever expected. They usually have liked to trade down and get extra selections or trade for uh, players, specific players, which is why they're in the situation they are now, because they've traded for specific players. You know, looking at their needs, they they got to need a right tackle. They should be able to get a right tackle with their first pick in the draft. I think of the opportunity to move down uh, and pick up some extra selections, if not this year, maybe next year, because they'll be uh, more valuable next year, especially in day three, uh, affords itself, they may look in that direction.
0: And I can see that I, you know, the thinking about accumulating more picks. But I also, gosh, if there is the guy that you want at number 56 and, and you're I would rather my team hit on a a guy at fifty six than trade down and take you know two or three shots at later rounds where maybe there's some uncertainty.
1: Completely agree with you. I I mean, people. uh, I'm in New York, and people were mad at the uh, Jets for trading Sam Donald because they felt that they could have you know uh, traded away that second selection for a haul of picks. Well, what does that mean? What does that do? I mean, if if your team, if you're an organization that can't develop players, a haul of picks means absolutely nothing. So I absolutely agree with you. You know, is it better to have three or four solid players or one player that you believe can be really, really good. So uh, absolutely. You know, you, 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 basically, the extra picks in a lot of, a lot of cases or a lot of instances is like kicking the can down the road. You eventually got to take a, take a player, take the player that you think uh, you can develop into a starter.
0: But I also think that there's some, some risk and that's associated maybe with this draft, especially. And With three picks, you know, will that make a team like the Seahawks more risk averse or or should it make them more open to taking a risk? You know, I've listened to you say that a guy like Walker Little, the tackle out of Stanford, you know, he could slip down out of the uh, on the draft board. A guy who was projected in the top 15, you know, if they see a guy like him falling to them in the second round, you know, do they take a risk on a guy like him who hasn't been playing a whole lot of football? He opted out last year. That that just seems like there's some risk there.
1: Well, there is, uh, you know, same thing with a guy like Spencer Brown, who I think would be a real good uh, selection for them. If he's there uh, at the bottom of round two, fits the need at right tackle. He's a little bit taller than what they usually like, but they like athletic blockers and Spencer Brown, you know, is an athletic blocker who projects the right tackle, who had terrific game film in 2019 Northern Iowa postponed their season or delayed their season. I should say to the spring Brown decided not to play in the spring, was at the senior bowl, had his moments at the senior bowl, but also had some up and ups and downs. So, uh, I, I mean, there's always risk uh, with players in the draft. You never know what you're going to get. I think in certain cases this year, more so than other years. But, you know, you, you deal the hand that was dealt to you.
0: Well, and part of the risk aversion, I'm thinking back to last year where they take Daryl Taylor in the second round. Yeah. They trade up to get him. And then he doesn't play at all in the 2020 season. And I can just I can see them looking at that and saying, man, we can't go back to back years and picking a guy who isn't even going to play this year either. It's a tough spot to be in, I think. And having only three picks, it's I think there's just that much more emphasis on getting this first one right.
1: Yeah, I I mean, you know, taking a defensive lineman in the second round that. Never plays is nothing new to the uh, Seattle Seahawks. People remember Malik McDowell, right? And now you're, you're talking about Daryl Taylor. But you know Taylor's the injury issues prior to what happened last year, and the downside with Taylor were well known before they selected him. They drafted him like Malik McDowell because he had a great amount of upside potential. Which, if hit on, you would have hit. <clears throat> you would have hit a home run. Doesn't didn't happen with McDowell. Who knows if it's going to out with Taylor? It doesn't look so good. But yeah, I would agree with you. I, I mean, it's like anything. I, any team's got to hit on their, their selections, whether you're a, a franchise that's been consistently competitive like the Seattle Seahawks, or whether you're a team like the New York Jets who are eternally trying to uh, be a competitive team. It seems that finally the Cleveland Browns have got the right formula, you know, picking the correct players or as well as developing those players.
0: Yeah, it only seems to take one real solid draft to to put a team in contention and, and and be there for a long time. So it is it's a bit of a bummer when a draft like this that they have so few picks. But at the same time, you know, with what I'm hearing you saying, it's that a draft like this, there's a lot of questions that maybe they're okay sitting out a draft like this, knowing that there are going to be a lot of these issues.
1: Yeah. I mean there's good talent in the first round. There's a lot of good talent in the end day two. But, I I mean, if you had to pick and choose a draft of the last 10 to 15 years, and I dare say the next 10 years, where you want to be a little void of selections, this would be the one.
0: You mentioned Spencer Brown. Are there any other players who just scream Seahawks to you so loudly that Pete Carroll and John Schneider, you know, they'll, they'll want to target and say that we can't make it out of the draft without getting this guy?
1: I don't think I, I mean I like Jackson Carmen uh, from Clemson in the third round, but I, I don't know that he's type their type of player. You know, as you get in the late third round, even in the fourth round with one of, with the, their uh, their fourth round pick, James Hudson of Cincinnati and Adrian Ely, I think of Oklahoma would be a good choice for them if he's available in the fourth round. Stone Forsythe, another big right tackle prospect that's athletic, if he's there in the fourth round, I, I think is a guy that. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they would consider uh, a Trey Hill, a center from Georgia in the fourth round, I think is it, it, someone else relatively athletic, <clears throat> has some knee issues, uh, will be on the sidelines for a while. But, you know, somebody that two or three years down the road can be a real good starting center in the league.
0: So it definitely sounds like you're leaning offensive line for the Seahawks.
1: Yeah. As I always do. I mean, it it seems every year that they are in need of offensive line or every, every year, everybody protects them to take offensive linemen in the draft and they never do, which adds to Damian
0: Lewis last year. They, they, they hit on one. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's something that, well, I think in every draft you want to go hard, either offensive line, defensive line, I guess we're seeing a team like the Kansas City Chiefs who is just going hard in free agency just to rebuild their entire offensive line. Do you think based on what Russell Wilson's comments were early this offseason, have they done enough then?
1: I you know, I don't think so. Uh but then they you know, they were up against it in on the cap. I think they made a good trade for Gabe Jackson. I absolutely think that was a step in the right direction. I mean, Jackson was Uh, about to be cast off and he is a good player. So he doesn't have a lot of tread left on the tire, but offensive linemen, especially guards tend to last a little bit longer. Um, But I I think it's the edges, especially the right tackle position that really need to needed to be shored up. I I think the the Jackson trade made a lot of sense because of the type of player he is. He comes in and because of the need comes in, he's now the uh, starter. Um, But again, you know, When you're taking players that people don't project and when you're bypassing need and you're taking uh, the Jordan Brooks of the world and the kid from TCU that they took a couple of years ago and even Darren Taylor, what eventually happened, Darryl Taylor, I should say, what eventually happens is holes are created in other areas uh, of the team. LJ Collier is the guy I was thinking of, who people Mm -hmm. didn't expect him to thought it was a bit of a reach. Holes will eventually be created in other areas of the the team and I, i think right now the holes on the offensive line
0: it's where the holes are and while i don't think that they're going to only make three picks if we're four years down the road and they've got a future starting tackle and a starting center with a second and a fourth rounder then i would call this a successful draft but unfortunately they do have other areas of the team to address beyond the offensive line and i want to talk about those with you coming up next to Tony Pauline, NFL Draft Analyst at the Pro Football Network, also of the Believe in Draft Analyst podcast. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, I want to focus on corner because losing Shaquille Griffin is probably the most significant loss of the offseason. And I know they signed Akella Witherspoon, but man, if, if they could find a guy who could come in and in his rookie season do what Shaquille Griffin was able to do his rookie year, I just I think that that would make a lot more difference for this year than maybe signing an offensive lineman would.
1: And they may have that opportunity late in round two if a Kelvin Joseph of Kentucky happens to fall down there, Aaron Robinson <clears> of <throat> Central Florida. There are some good developmental corners that if coached correctly, I think can be players at the next level in the second, third, maybe through the fourth round. Mentioned Joseph, mentioned Aaron Robinson. Asante Samuel, although uh, Seattle usually likes corners that are slightly bigger than that. Paulson Adebo, I don't know that they take him in the second round, but, you know, that's somebody when you look at the size and speed that fits the metrics that the uh, uh, that the Seahawks like. A guy in the fourth round like Sean Wade, I, I mean, who's basically a reclamation project at this point in time. Sean Wade at, at one point is early in his Ohio State career, was projected as a, a potential first round pick really played bad football last year. I mean, it was just, it was not good. He looked like a free agent at the time, but again, six, just slightly under six foot one, 196 pounds runs well. Uh, so that's somebody I think they would have to consider.
0: How much do you think teams are taking into account just how odd 2020 was and, and looking at how players played in 2019 versus 2020 and You know, normally you would want a player to show growth between those two years. But how much are teams looking at that and saying, well, maybe some of these guys have an excuse?
1: They should. And I'm sure some of them are. But I think it's not only different from team to team, but within the team, there's a lot of dissenting opinions. There are people who feel like players who opted out to prepare for the draft really should be downgraded. They feel the offensive linemen who, who opted out should be downgraded. How much love do they have for the game? I don't disagree with it, but that is absolutely a topic of conversation. You know, I think in my opinion, you got to look at it on a case-by-case basis. You can't blame a guy like a Penny Sewell, played in the Pac-12, a uh, conference that, you know, couldn't seem to get its act together. They were canceling the season, and then they may have played, and then there was pressure, then they started the season in November, and then it was a week-to-week basis and you didn't know if you were playing every Saturday. Some teams played only four games. I think Arizona State played four games. You can't blame a guy like that, you know, for uh, opting out. A guy like Caleb Farley from uh, Virginia Tech, you got to ask why did you opt out when your conference, the ACC, started on time? You know, you were a good, not a great cornerback at Virginia Tech. You know, you, there was a lot of room for improvement. We really feel you should have played. So there's no one straight answer for that. Uh, And and I think uh, I I think it will be a topic of conversation in war rooms.
0: So you mentioned how the Seahawks, they they like to do things often that we don't expect.
1: If we're thinking corner, if
0: we're thinking offensive line, either center or tackle, uh, who's a player who may slip to the end of the second round? And well, I guess I shouldn't even phrase it that way, because oftentimes if it's a guy slipping, it's not the guy who's slipping that they're going after. It's a guy that they're. You know, they just have their sights set on. And I'm trying to think of, you know, outside of those positions, who's a guy that might be in that range that they just they have their sights set on. And it would be a surprise in terms of a a position group that they're going after.
1: Yeah, I I mean, they really don't need a receiver with Tyler Lockett, uh, you know, DK Metcalf there. Maybe they could use a third receiver. So if a highly rated Receiver, a Tylon Wallace of Oklahoma State, a Dwayne Eskridge of of Western Michigan, a real speedster is there. Uh, I I think maybe they could draft They would take a guy like that to round out, uh, you know, their their three receiver set.
0: Well, and how about a guy who would fit in on special teams, too, in terms of a return guy and a punt return guy? You know, they've had Tyler Lockett in that spot last year. Uh, DJ Reed filled in. In that spot, you know, with Lockett kind of getting up there in age, and you know, admittingly saying that he's lost maybe a half a step or so. So, a guy on special teams who has that kind of speed that maybe Lockett did coming out of college,
1: like Dwayne Eskridge or Tylon Wallace. Yeah. I mean, Dwayne Eskridge of Western Michigan ran in the four threes at, at his pro day. He plays to the four threes. He's incredibly fast. He was uncoverable at the during Senior Bowl practices, although only practiced for two days. And he projects as a kick returner. Same thing with Tylon so although he's more of a punt return at the next level. Decent speed, but very quick, knows how to how to create yardage and make defenders miss. So I think both of those guys I mentioned you know, project well as not only receivers, but return specialists.
0: Yeah, and you interviewed Eskridge here recently, right?
1: We had an interview with him, and I would highly recommend people uh, go back and listen to that interview. He was a very forthright guy. There were some... I don't want to say difficult uh, topics, but why uh, he didn't go to a bigger school and he, he talked about grades and academics and things like that. Uh, forthright right, with us, he also said, you know, he's got a history of playing cornerback in the past and he's more than ready to... Uh, you know, play cornerback or be on the field in the defensive secondary if a team at the next level needs him to be. And he also mentioned that he's more than happy or he's almost excited to line up as a return specialist.
0: Yeah, a little small for a Pete Carroll cornerback, but uh, I, I like the the idea that he's willing to do that. So I, I wanted to ask you, too, you were a Jets season ticket holder. You mentioned the Jets earlier. Uh, the Jets end up with the Seahawks' 23rd pick this year. So I think Seahawks fans are going to be watching to see what the Jets yeah. do with that pick. As a Seahawks fan, are we going to look at that and and just be like disappointed that we're we're missing out on that selection versus having Jamal Adams on our team?
1: According to my mock draft, I'm going to say no because all the top offensive tackles, which which is the Jets need, especially right tackle, which is what the Jets have in common with the Seahawks. I think all the top offensive tackles will be off the board. I, I mean, if you're looking for a bigger corner, I believe Caleb Farley of uh, Virginia Tech is still going to be on the board. But besides what we mentioned, what I mentioned previously about opting out, he now has a back issue. Uh, maybe Greg Newsome, although 23 is a little bit earlier. I, you know, I don't think so. I, I think I've always thought that Jamal Adams was a terrific player. He was the best player the Jets had, especially on defense. If he can stay healthy, I think he's a perfect fit for that Uh Uh, That Seahawk defense. And, you know, the Seahawks have always preferred players over picks. That's why they made the trade. That's why they sometimes, you know, take players that people don't expect with those draft picks.
0: Moving on over to the 49ers, Tony, a lot of news surrounding San Francisco this week. What does it mean to you that everyone solidly expects who's going to go number one and number two? But I feel like there's no real sense of certainty of who the best third quarterback is
1: um well it's kind of two you're saying two different things there I mean certainty as to who the number three quarterback is on boards does not necessarily mean that is the quarterback the San Francisco 49ers are going to select with that third pick right you know the number three quarterback on my board is Justin Fields and from what I first reported uh, ahead of everyone else uh, Sunday afternoon, if you read the article at Pro Football Network, it was down to Trey Lance and Mac Jones. And it looks like it's going to be Mac Jones. And I think the bottom line is, as I wrote in that article, this is what happens when the head coach drives the draft process. This is what happens when the head coach is pretty adamant about what he wants, the player that he wants. You're basically setting aside or dismissing uh, the hard work of the scouting staff for the head coach who got involved in the decision-making process for a couple of months of the year, as opposed to these scouts who have watched a guy like Trey Lance, uh, you know, for one and a half years, because Trey Lance only played uh, played one full season and played one game this year. Uh, but but I, I think it's the end result of number one, a head coach driving the draft process. And I think it's also the end result of what we've seen in the past 20 years Quarterbacks being overdrafted, which is why Seattle Seahawks fans, you know, should should be thankful every day or get on their knees and pray every day, whichever one you prefer, because you got a great quarterback in the third round. You you know, you didn't take a quarterback a round and a half earlier than he was supposed to go.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's something that I think we've talked about. Well, we've had the opportunity to talk a lot about this offseason with Russ making you know those. Uh, those four his agent putting those four teams out there earlier this offseason so uh, there was a lot of talk around that and I I thought that gosh it would have to have taken well even if they wait until next year Tony I feel like it would have to take I don't know like an Eric Dickerson level trade package to move a franchise quarterback in the middle of his career
1: well is he in the middle of his career or is he towards the end of his career you you know what what you're saying makes sense but despite the fact that quarterback is the most important position on the field we found out you know with Matt Stafford we found out with Jared Goff with Carson Wentz with uh, you know Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback is also seems to be the most disposable position on the field which is a complete contradiction but that's you know that's the way it is and again i go back to uh, you know, when the coach drives the, uh, the the draft process, I think Seattle is a different situation altogether. It was a uh, conflict of personalities. We'll see if they'll, they'll, they are able to smooth that out over the course of the next year.
0: He's Tony Pauline, the host of Believe in Draft Analysts on the Believe Podcast Network, also NFL draft analyst at the Pro Football Network. Tony, what do you got planned for draft coverage this week and where do folks go to find it?
1: Oh, come to pro football! We'll have uh, one final uh, podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, network with Chris and myself uh, coming up. We'll go over a couple teams' draft boards and what I'm hearing as far as pro football network. There'll be more things going on than you can handle. If you are happen to be in Cleveland, we are having two lunch events at Lago East Bank, which is right near the Loft, a uh, Loft Hotel, which is right down the road from where the uh, the draft is being held on Thursday and Friday. Uh, we will have live analysis of all the picks Thursday and Friday. Uh, we'll have a lot of stuff. And most importantly for Seahawks fans, especially since you don't have any high picks. Well, we will have 700. There are 700 scouting reports up on the site already. So you can get information on all the players that the Seahawks select and those that they sign after the draft is undrafted
0: free agents. Yeah. And you guys go deep on that, too. So, yes, even if the Seahawks pick someone that we haven't talked about, you guys have got it covered on your website. There you go. Exactly. A big thanks once again to Tony Pauline, the host of Believe in Draft Analysts on the Believe Podcast Network. A big day for the Seahawks on Wednesday as John Schneider and Pete Carroll met with the media for the first time since the end of the 2020 season. I'm going to try and have some highlights of that press conference up for you on Thursday's podcast. It is a big week for the show. Thanks to Nathan and Kevin for helping out this week to bring some more draft talk to the feed. Thanks to Wilson, who's helping me pull together some quotes from this press conference on Wednesday. And if you're wondering when our next live episode of 3 in, 3 out will be on Locker Room, we're planning to get together at the start of the second round of the draft on Friday. And we're going to talk about what we've seen with our rivals in the first round, maybe address some of the comments from Pete and John, and also hear what you have to say ahead of the Seahawks' first pick in the draft. Lockerroom.app to download that onto your iOS device. And then you can follow me at Seahawkra, Seahawk R-A, and get notified when we go live. Right now, we're looking at about 4.30 p.m. Pacific time on Friday. So check that out. And I'll also have some quick reaction shows as the Seahawks make their picks throughout the draft. So be sure you're subscribed, sbnation.com slash podcasts. You can go to fieldgoals.com, click on the podcast button up at the top, and you can subscribe to the show there as well. So be sure and look forward to everything that we've got coming up. And until next time, go
1: Hawks.